I am rolling now. We can get to it. Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kyle Rosedahl. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, November 22, Thanksgiving Eve this year. Yes, which is why I am joining from inside of my mother's car so that I could escape the wonderful children making lots of noise in my mother's house. (laughs) How many many kids? Uh, That would be four of them, ranging in age from 7 to 13. Yes, it's lovely. It's great. great. It's great. But before we get to those wonderful festivities and let everybody go for the long holiday weekend, let us do some news and some smiles. Uh, Kai, why don't you go first? All right. So I've got two. Both are just kind of like, wow, this is kind of wild. The first one is a riff on the Sam Altman OpenAI news that's been, you know, brewing around uh, all week-ish. Uh, I don't want to talk mm-hmm. about Altman. I don't want to talk about OpenAI. I don't want to talk about uh, the employees who banded together and said, we're not doing this. Uh, I want to talk about the new board of directors for that company. And bear in mind, they are the leading uh, company in a technology that could conceivably destroy humanity, which is why I found it so interesting this morning that they have chosen former Treasury Secretary and former president of Harvard University, Larry Summers, to be on their board. Now, Summers is, is, is a brilliant, brilliant guy. In fact, he will tell you that he is often the most brilliant person in the room. He is also uh, uh, unafraid to um, say that uh, he doesn't really make mistakes, that he knows better than anybody. He is brusque and uh, self-advancing. And it just it troubles me that he's helping to run this company. And I don't quite understand what they thought his qualifications were. That's it. That's it. I just don't get it. I can tell you what his qualifications were. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Washington connections to in yeah. the future regulation of AI. You it, want somebody who is very well connected in Washington, <laughs> and he I, is. I, I, I yes, I totally agree with that, and I give you uh, full credit for thinking of that when I really hadn't. But my comeback is yes, but so many people in Washington hate him because of all the things I talked about. You know. Hate him, but still go to him for a lot of things. Yeah, I guess. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Strange bedfellows and all that, I, I suppose. I think that's a fair point. Well, all right. Good good for you for coming yeah. up with a reason I didn't. But it still just kind of made me go, really? So the only thing I have to say about this whole OpenAI thing is I wonder if we are going to look back at this moment, you know, five years from now, a decade from now, and say... This is the moment where there was a decision between sort of the more altruistic, slow and steady, not be too commercial version of AI Mm. development and the full steam ahead. We are all in this and we went for the latter. Like, is this going to be the moment that people Mm -hmm. look back on and say that was the turning point? Right, right. May well be. May well be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so that was my one substantive news article. The, the other one, and this is substantive too, just in a completely different way. Crazy article in the Wall Street Journal today about um, development of new high-tech artillery shells 
that are basically rockets that you fire out of a cannon that can go 90 miles. So there's just the whiz-bang part of it, no pun intended uh, on the whiz-bang thing. But here's here's just an amazing, ama- I know, I'm sorry, an amazing, amazing statistic. Hang on, I gotta scroll down and I gotta find it. So both the U.S. and Europe produced about 300,000 artillery shells last year. So that's each, and that's according to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. The European Union believes its companies can increase production to 1 million shells by next year, and the U.S. is looking at 1.2 million. So, oh my goodness gracious, that's a lot of artillery shells, which are going to Ukraine and other allies and also Israel and all of that stuff. It's just very, very interesting. The demand for armaments now is very high, and the high tech is kind of wild. These artillery shells are like rockets. It's absolutely wild. Mm, wow. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. Weapons of war. I mean, efficient. They, they, they can go, they? they can, I know, they can go 90 miles. That's New York to Philadelphia from a cannon. Mm, yikes. Anyway, all right. Okay. So that's, it. that's it for me. Well, I'll pivot to other things that are going far distances. Uh, <laughs> Members of Congress are fleeing Washington. So we had two more retirements, uh, retirement announcements in the House this week. Uh, It was longtime California Democrat Rep. Anna Eshoo says she's going to retire from her seat, which is a Silicon Valley seat uh, after this term in Congress. She's and then Republican Bill Johnson of Ohio, Mm -hmm. who leads the Energy and Commerce and Environment Subcommittee says he's leaving to head to Youngstown State University. Um, And this, I'm reading from Politico here. The decisions by Eshoo and Johnson continues a flood of retirements, with November marking the most announcements in any single month since 2011. There have been at least 12 to date, not counting several other members like Reps Dean Phillips and Sheila Jackson Mm -hmm. Lee pursuing bids for other elected offices and still more than a week to go in November. And then if you bop over to The Hill, you know, there's two quotes um, about all of these departures that I thought were really interesting. Uh, Representative Debbie Lesko of Arizona said when she announced that she wouldn't run again, right now, Washington, D.C. is broken. And then uh, Representative Brian Higgins, Democrat from New York, said, too often elected officials chase the 24-hour news cycle, focusing on the issue of the day. And when you look back, there's little to show for it. And he also has opted against running for re-election. And it makes me wonder who wants these jobs right. anymore. Right. And yeah. if people who are, you know, civically minded find it too much of a hassle and too yeah. challenging with not enough You know, it's one thing if you have to put up with all the stuff you have to put up with as a member of the House, if you can actually pass legislation and see that you're making a difference and see that you're making change. But when nothing gets done and you only have to deal with the negative consequences of it, uh, which I'm sure that's not all they deal with. I'm sure there's still some perks. But, you know, it's kind of like why bother? You can make more Mm. money elsewhere with less hassle, less drama, less oversight. You can 
trade on all the info that you have in your new connections and probably, you know, do quite well for yourself and not have threats against your family or people attacking your place of business while you hide in the bathroom or in bunkers. Um, And I just worry about who will run for public office in this environment. And if civically minded people do not run for public office, what we will get instead are people bankrolled by special interest groups that may or may not have the best interests of the overall country in mind. And that concerns me. And I think it's worth noting. So anybody out there listening who is civically minded uh, and actually cares about our democracy and you want to run for Congress, it seems like there's going to be a bunch of openings. Good luck. Yeah, I uh, I endorse everything uh, you said. It's deeply distressing, and if you can't actually get things done and make life better for the people of this country, and it's all toxic, negative, stalling, and and maneuvering and terribleness, why are you going to do it? You know. Yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, we need some smiles. <laughs> yeah, we do. Let's go. All right, all right I want you to go first. No, you oh, go you first. Want me to go first? Okay. All yes. right. So this this isn't really a smile, smile. It's a it's a combination of boy, this is really good, and I'm glad this is happening. And wow, this has to happen. Starting in the new year, students K through 12 students in the state of California are going to have to learn media literacy skills, such as recognizing fake news and thinking critically about what they see online. It's going to be along with core courses like mathematics, science, and history. It's a new law that the governor signed back in October, and it goes into effect January 1. I think it's great. I think it's it's as important as financial literacy and historical literacy and social literacy and economic literacy and all of those things, especially in today's environment. Um, and I'm a little embarrassed to say that even though this news came out about two, three days ago, uh, I didn't really see it until this afternoon. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you're like, yeah, God, that was out two days ago. That's why. There's been a lot going on. It's a holiday that's week. True. We're trying that to true. cram true. a bunch of stuff into a couple days. So... True. All right. True, well, true, true. my smile is a sort of unique blend. It's in the Washington Post, where I live most of the time, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. but it is about Thanksgiving, sorry, St. Louis and Thanksgiving, where I'm in St. Louis for Thanksgiving. Anyway, headline is the NFL's brief forgotten experiment with Thanksgiving in St. Louis. So I'm just going to read a little bit. For nearly half a century, Americans have watched the Dallas Cowboys and Detroit Lions host games on Thanksgiving. It's as etched into the holiday as the Macy's Parade and Sweet Potatoes. But if things had turned out differently during a mid-1970s scheduling test run, St. Louis could have supplanted Dallas as one of those Thanksgiving hosts. Back then, the St. Louis Cardinals football team, not the baseball team, were one of the NFL's most dynamic teams routinely storming back to win games behind high-flying offense that earned them the nickname Cardiac Cards. Skimming ahead a little bit. But so they they did these games in 1975 and 1977, but they got blown out both times, quickly putting an end to the experiment. The second of of those games, a 55-14 drubbing at the hands of the Miami Dolphins on November 24th, 1977, also marked the implosion of a once great team. Not only did it snap a six-game winning streak, but it launched a 12-game skid that extended to the next season. The Cardinals never made the playoffs again in St. Louis, except for the strike-shortened 1982 season. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So... 
history. There you go. It was really, I, I had cool. no idea of any of this. I mean, mainly because I'm not the sports person, but also, you know, cool little bit of St. Louis history and uh, totally. Thanksgiving related. So it made me, made me totally. smile a little bit, even though I'm sad they lost because awesome. boo. Anyway. Boo. That's, that's it. awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. All right, good, good. We're done. uh, (laughs) It is awesome. uh, We're done for today. We're off the rest of the week, Uh, obviously, for Thanksgiving, not around on Friday as well. Back Monday with Matt Levin. Uh, Until then, keep sending us your state cocktail submissions. Remember, we mentioned that uh, yesterday, I think. Make me smart at marketplace.org or leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeger. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Drew Jostad, and our intern is Neela Farshabandi. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.